Yes, we are going to go see a movie together, church. And not only is it remastered, it's a whole new movie. Uh, it's a whole new live-action film, and it's going to be a good time. Uh, so, Jason, thank you for that. Taylor, thank you as well. Church, welcome. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. Pleasure to be here with you this morning on this hot, summery day. Uh, we're in a series right now called uh, Baggage, and we're reading literally the entire summer through Psalm 23. Now, if you're like me, uh, maybe you grew up going to church. Maybe you did not grow, to go up, grow up going to church. And so something like Psalm 23, this may be new for you. But for me, I grew up, many of you have heard this already, in kindergarten, Cookie cake was promised on the delivery of you completing and memorizing Psalm 23. And so this psalm quickly, even as a child, became an integral part of living. Because after all, cookie cake was on the line. So this morning, I don't have cookie cake for you. I know it is a great disappointment. But here's what I'd like for us to do. Uh, we're going to stand and read the word. Uh, together. This is what would have happened if you had grown up going to the temple. You would have stood for the reading of the scriptures, and we've been doing that for this entire series. And uh, because uh, if you grew up in Israel or you were an Israelite, uh, the reading of the word was literally considered a holy moment, special and sacred. So you would stand in honor of God. So let's stand together. Can we do that? We're going to read this together. You should be able to read and follow along behind me, or if you have it on your phone or Bible, Psalm 23, 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may have a seat. Thank you. Psalm 23, aside from maybe Tim Tebow and John 3.16, there's not many other Bible verses that have as much fame and celebrity, so to speak, as Psalm 23. It's made into wall art. People literally have it tattooed, portions of it or the whole thing uh, on their back, on their shoulders, parts of it on their ankles. People have this placed everywhere. They use it as screensavers because it brings comfort to them. It's Psalm 23. Many people grew up reading it, and so there's also a measure of nostalgia in reading it. Being reminded that God brings us peace. David starts off and he says that, that God is our shepherd and we are like sheep. And like sheep who need green pastures, our God, the good shepherd, brings us to places where we can be nourished. 
to green pastures, but he doesn't stop there. He leads us beside quiet waters, and he restores our soul. He brings refreshment to us. Don't you need that? Don't we live in a moment right now where refreshment is something that we need daily? I need God to refresh me. I'm tired. I'm weary. My soul is worn out. I'm scrolling on social media, and I'm literally just overwhelmed by the fighting and the just this action happening. If you're listening to the podcast, I don't even know what that was, but people just fight. They get into disagreements. And of course, we read all the comments and we just soak it up. We need refreshment, do we not? And then there are moments as, the, as a sheep and as God as our shepherd where you and I walk through some really difficult times, the dark valleys, the valley of shadow and death where things you just don't know, is it going to get any better? Is there ever going to be another side to this thing? It's dark in here. It's a little scary. I don't want to be here. But God walks beside us and walks us through the valley of shadow, the dark places. And then David does something different in the Psalm 23 moment right here. Everything prior to it is the Lord does this. He does this. The Lord is this. He is that. And then he shifts to you. What was a wide description of God for everyone gets very personal. It's personal for you and it's personal for me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Meaning, at your darkest moment, you've made it through the other side of the valley, and in this moment where you're kind of drawing up battle lines, when I hear the word enemy, I think of war. I think of Saving Private Ryan. I, I think of, uh, of Gladiator, one of the greatest films of all time. Right? When you think of, of an enemy and a table being brought before you, you know what, when you're in battle with one another, you know what you don't have a whole lot of time for? Sitting down for a nice meal. And yet God, in the midst of, of the enemy knocking on your door, prepares a feast for you and invites you to come relax. and Be refreshed. Feast. And enjoy his company. Relationship with him. He anoints your head with oil. Now, I don't think anybody here, maybe, maybe you did, grew up in the East, but there are some interesting things that, would, that, that bring us context in reading Psalm 23. But if you were a guest in someone's home, it was customary for the host to have oil of refreshment, the oil of gladness the Bible talks about. And as a guest that's walking in, you would get some oil for your head and for your hands, and it would bring refreshment to you. It was a way of honoring the guest. And so here, David, he reminds us that God brings the oil. And then he says something, three words that we're going to focus on today. My cup overflows. 
So there were two things as a guest in the home of, of, of a Jewish person. One was oil, and then the other thing was that you would be, you'd be given a goblet or a wine glass of some sort. And the host would, would have the wine, and he would pour the wine in your cup. And as a way of, of reminding you that you can stay here, and all that you need, I will provide, the host would pour the wine to the top to the purpose of letting it literally fall over the side. Meaning, all that I have is yours. And anything that you need it is my desire to meet it. And this was customary. So when David writes that you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. God is inviting you and I into a place of great relationship, into his home, into his feast, to sit at his dining room table. And that's pretty cool. Now, I realize that still, you don't have any way of relating to that. And I, I get it. I read it, and I, I, because I'm a nerd, I like information like that. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's really good. But it doesn't really help us understand it. So maybe this is a way for you to grasp it. I relate to this. I don't know the last time you went and got ice cream. Uh, you know, you go to the kind of ice cream place where you stand, and they have the glass counter, and you look over. You know, and you can see all the buckets of ice cream. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, of course. If you haven't, I mean, you need to live a little bit. I mean, come on. You got all the ice cream flavors. And, of course, you need to sample at least three or four of them, even though you already know the flavor that you're going to end up getting. But you still need to sample this one, this one, and that one just to be sure. You know what I'm talking about, Right? And you get that cone, and, and the person that's asking you, how many scoops do you want? you got to think about that, right? Am I going to do one scoop, or am I going to do two? And, you know, you settle on two scoops, and you're just not sure if it's going to be enough. And you kind of watch that person, you know, kind of put their elbow into it. And the more exertion they put into that little bucket of ice cream, you know you're going to get a little extra in this thing. And you know what I mean, and you know what I'm talking about when, when someone gives you that, that ice cream cone, but they put a little something extra on it. It's more. It's, it, it's, you know, I realize there's a minimum, and you're probably trained to do a little scoop here, a little scoop there, but somehow they just went big. They went over the top. They want extra for you. And they hand you that cone, and you pay for it, and you know what it's like. You, you've got to, like... You've got to eat it on the sides real quick because it's going to start melting and coming over your hand. Oh, it's the best kind. When the ice cream is big enough to start melting and running down your hand, you've got a scoop, son. But God is all about that extra. When, when the scriptures say that your cup and my cup is overflowing, it's like that ice cream scoop that's it's not the minimum. It's not that you're just kind of getting by with what you asked for as you were, you know, looking at the menu. No, no, no. The, the God, God digs down deep, and he puts so much in that and so much on that in your life and for your life that it's just running over the sides. And you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't even know what I'm going to do with all this. My cup overflows. 
It's like an extra scoop of ice cream, folks. And everybody said, amen. Yes. I'm sorry if you're lactose intolerant or you don't ever get to eat such a wonder as ice cream. But it is a beautiful thing. Everybody say, God has given me the extra scoop. Is it cheesy? Yes, it is. But just bear with me because we have a hard time actually believing this. God has given you that extra scoop. But for many of us, we live as though we're kind of Christians, beggars in God's house who are just trying to get by. But Jesus said something in John 10, 10. He says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. What an interesting word that Jesus uses to describe the very life that he is giving you and I. It sounds a lot like in that extra scoop again, doesn't it? The abundant life, more than you were imagining, more than you were thinking, more than you were even prepared for. What are you going to do? You're going to have to just eat it off the sides because it's going to start running down your hand and arm here real quick. He's given you the abundant life, and yet we may know that in our minds, we still have a hard time believing it in our hearts. So we don't live that way. The very thing that begins to eat its way into our hearts, it's, it's, it's like a, we'll use the ice cream again. You know what's incredible is I can be so happy with my two-scoop ice cream, and it can look so big and just I can't wait to eat it. And I'm completely satisfied with what I have been given until I look at the guy next to me, and he got more scoop than I did. And all of a sudden, what once was just this heaping, satisfied, amazing moment of, of service and servitude and blessing, it doesn't feel adequate anymore because, after all, this person appears to have more, which means that I must have less, and this bothers me. And so the great enemy of the abundant life that Jesus offers, you know what it is? It's this tiny little word called envy. Envy is the great enemy of an abundant life with Jesus. You will have a difficult time really appropriating the fact that God has given you a cup, that God has given you himself, a relationship with him. You will have a difficult time being satisfied with that as long as your eyes continue to dart to other people. And your eyes get fixated on what other people have and what other people are doing and how other people are gifted. And you have a difficult time finding contentment and satisfaction, not only in life, but certainly with Jesus. It's amazing with my four kids, they can play on an iPad. We have, we have a couple iPads, some were given to us, whatever. We've got a couple devices at home between phones and, and, and iPhones, and it's amazing. One can have 
video game time on an iPad for 20 minutes. And if one child has an iPad for one minute longer, the others are blowing a gasket. As if somehow I have been just oppressed that I didn't get that extra 60 seconds of iPad. You were completely satisfied with your iPad video game time. It met all of your needs until you saw your brother playing on it just a hair longer than you. And now you're going to lose your junk over it. Why? Because enemy, envy is the great enemy of a cup that overflows. It's the great enemy of the abundant life in Jesus. You simply can never be satisfied. I love my house until I see somebody's house that's a little bit newer, a little bit bigger, who has a little bit better yard. My marriage is going okay, I'm pretty sure, until I see one that seems a little bit better than mine. And, and now I'm dissatisfied at the condition of where we are. My, my weight, I feel good with how I look until I see someone whose metabolism just happens to be working a little bit better than mine. And I think to myself, God, how have you done this to me? Why have you Not giving me a cup that overflows. Yesterday, I, my family's in town, and we went on a nice little Atlanta tour, and I took them downtown, and there are different streets that just have castles for homes. And it's fun to get coffee and go drive and kind of look. And I mean, it's a, it's a fun adventure. And as we're driving home, Amy calls me and she's got a flat tire. I thought, oh, man, that stinks. No big deal. I'll go change it because I'm a man. And so we did. And we went, we put the spare on the tire. We put the spare on and. We had some people from the church that were there, and, and, you know, it was after a birthday party, blah, blah, blah. And we get to discount tire, and the guy comes out, and he says, well, I can fix this. But do you really want me to? Because all your tires are in pretty rough shape. So you're probably going to need to shell it out and buy four new tires. You ready to do that? Well, no, I'm not ready to do that. <laughs> but I'm going to have to do that. So... Okay, and by the time I get home, I get home to a house that's hot. I go over to the thermostat, and guess what? The air conditioning is not working properly in our home. And so I have a, I have a, I have a car that has to get four new tires. I have an air conditioner that's not working, and I go outside to the AC box, and I see overgrowth around it, and I'm yanking stuff out and making sure there's enough air around the box outside, and I tear my arm against the metal of the box, and there's blood all over the place. I walk in, and there's just blood running down. I'm like, God doesn't like me. He doesn't care about me. My cup is not overflowing. It is empty. It is bone dry. What is it? We laugh, but this is how we live. 
This is how we live. Oh, woe is me. I was blessed yesterday. I was hashtag blessed yesterday, but I'm not blessed anymore. I'm not blessed anymore. You know why? Because my physical possessions, the things that I have in my life, aren't going the way that I want them to go. And because my things have been impacted, my life, the abundant life, the life of envy, the life of I want, the life of I deserve, it begins to creep up. Why would you do this to me? Envy is acknowledging God's goodness in someone else's life, but ignoring his goodness in yours. Isn't it true that I can acknowledge God? Oh, I know God's good. I see him good everywhere. I, I really see him good across the street at the neighbor who's walking out of his house, and he looks refreshed. He looks cool. He's not sweating. God, I see your goodness at work in that other person's promotion, in that other person's car. I see your goodness at work in somebody else's family, but can I honestly acknowledge your goodness in mine? A lot of times we can't. Why? Because envy is at the, in the work of our heart. It's the ability to acknowledge God's goodness in everything and everywhere other than our own life. So we've grown dissatisfied. We think an overflowing cup is a life filled with overflowing stuff. And it's not. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul, the writer here, is writing to a church there in Corinth. And it's the passage that gets used in many weddings. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. But envy is this secret thing, isn't it? It's, it's, this, it's this little thing that many times we don't even realize we're carrying with us. The title of the series that we have is called Baggage, meaning there are little bags and big bags that we carry around with us, and envy is this little nasty thing that goes unnoticed and unchecked. It can fit in a little pocket-sized wallet and just slide right in your pocket and no one even knows it's there. In fact, if you're not careful, you walk around and you forget that it's there. And all of a sudden, you're just rubbing shoulders with somebody and you look at them and you think, man, I wish I. This little bad boy is going to work envy. the book of Genesis. Give a little context for it. We're going to take this way back to the beginning. If you remember, if you grew up uh, or if you've read the Bible or the scriptures, the first two created men and women are Adam and their Eve, and they have two sons initially, and their names are Cain and Abel. And in the course of time, Cain and Abel are bringing an offering to God. This is their act of worship to him. 
And, Adam, and, and, and Abel brings an offering of meat. He brings what is most likely a lamb, something that's sacrificed. This offering would have been unbelievable value. But Cain brings some vegetables, which who wants vegetables? Nobody liked that, right? I mean, I liked that. Okay. So Cain and Abel, they're bringing two offerings. One offering is of value, and the other, it's not. There's not much value to it. And what's interesting is that Cain and Abel have this interaction with God, and God approves Abel's offering, but he does not approve Cain's. And Cain looks at his brother with a jealous and envious heart because he has been approved by God. Abel brought that which was good and that which was valuable. But Cain, no, no, no. He needed to hold on as tightly as he could. And so he gave a little bit of, you know, the vegetables, a little bit of produce from the land. And out of envy and jealousy and rage, he does the very first, he commits the first murder and he kills his brother in the field. And this is what God says to him in Genesis chapter 4, verse 12. He says that, Cain, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain responds, he says, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. My punishment is more than I can bear, God. You're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. Cain has misunderstood something that we continue to misunderstand. He thinks that life and a relationship with God is coming from the acquisition of things. And when God says, your punishment is that the land will no longer produce its crops, Cain's immediate response is, your punishment is too much for me. Why? Because life is consisting in the production of crops for him. Life is about him acquiring and becoming something. And yet Abel is able to give freely of that which has the most value. By faith. You say, well, how do you know that, Andy? Well, Genesis 4, 17 helps us understand a little bit more. Cain, he leaves. And what does he go do? He goes and he builds a city. And he named it after his son, Enoch. You see, a man looking for life, looking for the abundant life that only God can provide. And because he cannot find it in the crops, he does the next thing he knows to do, and he builds a city because this city will be a monument to me and my son's name and the legacy with which we'll have. I have bad news for you this morning. The overflowing life is not found in overflowing stuff. isn't God's economy. I'm a collector. 
Amy will tell you this, to her great pain, I love to collect things. I love to collect many fine leather books. I love to collect, you know, different things. I like to put them on my, my, my office bookcase. I love things from the 80s. I love all of it. I'm a nerd like that. I'm a sci-fi geek. I have no shame in telling you that. I own it, and I own it fully. But life doesn't come from buying things or having my house just right. It doesn't come when my child's behavior is finally the way I want it to be. It doesn't come when the grades finally have the right uh, evaluation next to it. It doesn't come when you finally have the job with the salary that you've been working hard for. I'm not saying that those things aren't good or that they don't have impact on your life, but they cannot bring you life. They cannot. And we find ourselves so convicted and convinced and compelled to acquire these things. Do we not? We spend our life trying to find them. And the enemy, the table that God has set before you in the presence of your enemy, many times we open the back door and let this little guy come in and just sit at the table. Envy. We invite him to the party. The enemy's plan for your life always includes you having a passive acceptance towards things that matter while holding deep conviction towards things that don't. I've got to have that job. No, you don't. You actually don't. Would you like it? Yes. Will we pray for it? Yes. But you don't have to have it. It is not your life. Marriage, while you may want to be married, marriage is not life. It isn't. Income is not life. Do they have importance? Yes. Are they everything? No. Ephesians 3, 17 through 21, Paul writes, I am praying. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide... And how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What does this sound like? It sounds like a filling cup, right? That you simply can't measure. Why? Because it's overflowing. How deep, how wide, how high, how long is the love of Christ for you? It's hard to grasp. He's pouring himself out, and your cup is just overflowing. This is what the abundant life looks like. It looks like relationship with Jesus that transforms you from the inside out. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Again, what did we have the picture of a cup that's just overflowing? According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. John 17, 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
We love to equate living with having, but God equates living with knowing. And who is it that you need to know? You need to know Jesus. And you need to continue knowing Jesus. And what do you need tomorrow? To continue knowing Jesus. And next month, knowing Jesus. And that you would continue growing in the fullness of who he is. That is life and the abundant life. And Jesus promises that it's not just for now, but it's for the next life as well. It's literally eternal life. And eternal life doesn't start somehow when you die. It starts when you put your faith in Jesus and have a revelation of who he is. Knowing him. That is the abundant life. It's not stuff. Stuff is fun. I get it. Four-wheelers and homes and jobs and promotions and all the things. And you can use that to bless other people. But at the end of the day, we must have Jesus. That is the overflowing cup that David writes about. Here's what we do. To bring it to a close. You say, well, how do I stop being envious? How do I fight that? How do I, how do I fix my eyes on Jesus and remember that my cup is truly overflowing? It's a great question. I'm so glad that you asked it this morning. Well, one of the things that we do is when you have a revelation of who Jesus truly is you know what it does for you it makes you generous not just generous in your wallet but literally generous because envy would have you look and your mind would turn and judgment would be getting passed I can't believe they have that they don't deserve I've worked so much harder than they have good grief and the thoughts continue going. And we begin to cut people down in our mind. And we make excuses and we make appeals to ourselves. But if you're going to fight envy and you're going to truly understand that your cup is overflowing, the revelation of who Jesus is and his life and what he's done for you, he died for your sins. You have been set free from sin and death because Jesus stepped out of the grave victorious. And because that's true, you have every single thing that you need for living in Christ Jesus. I have everything I need. And I can stand and I can be generous with my words. I can bless other people. I can say congratulations. I can be the first one to say great job, way to go, cheering you on. It's amazing when you will let your lips be generous, how it will fight envy in your heart. I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm going to give it away freely. I'm going to give my finances away freely because after all, I'm not tied to these things. I'm a generous person because Jesus has set me free and I know what's most important is Jesus. Having relationship with Jesus remembering what it looks like that he saved you from sin and death and that he has given you and I eternal life. That is a mind 
glowing truth that we take for granted. Stand to your feet. Worked myself into a sweat this morning. I was going to try not to. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Church, I want to say this, and I'm even speaking it over you this morning. This morning, you are blessed. Not in some trendy hashtag Instagram kind of way. You are blessed because Jesus Christ has died for you and given you life and life more abundantly. He took He took the price and paid he paid the price for your sin. He did what you could not do. And he rose out of the grave on the third day once again doing what you and I could not do and he gives his life away freely to those who will believe and trust him. And that's not something to be bored with. It's not something to replace with things or stuff. That revelation you've got to hold on to and fight to keep front and center because Jesus is worth it. He's number one. He's everything. He is the abundant life. Amen. Father, I thank you this morning. Lord, that you're good and that you're faithful that you give life. And Lord, this morning, Lord, we appeal to you. We ask for forgiveness when our eyes and our hearts are fixated on the wrong things. God, it's, we know it's okay to be disappointed or to have hard moments. We're not making light of that. But God, we also choose not to forget the incredible truth that Jesus Christ has blessed us with every single thing that we need for true life and true living. So God, we ask that you would help us this morning to remember that our cup is overflowing. It's in your amazing and glorious name we say, amen. Church, God loves you. smooth. God loves you. If this is something that you're struggling with, ask him to help you with it. I don't know anybody that doesn't struggle with this from time to time. But your cup is overflowing. It's not an opinion. That's a fact. It is. Because Jesus is who he says he is. And he did what he said he was going to do. Amen. You have a great Sunday, great week. Stay cool out there, ladies and gentlemen, and we will see you next Sunday. Stay tuned for details on the Lion King, and let's be bringing in our school supplies uh, starting next week.